And you and I both know that that kind of training doesn't just happen over a weekend. It happens week in, a week out, day in, a day out. In homes, fathers, mothers, bringing the Bible to bear, not only in knowledge, but in a changed life. In examples before our children, week after week in the worship of the church. I'm so thankful that we have a bunch of kids that love the church. Now, we may get to the end of the service sometimes, or if I'm preaching a long time, and they may decide, hey, I don't really like this church anymore. But then the Lord sort of corrects their hearts eventually, and they, once again, even though Brother Matt preaches too long sometimes, I still love him, right? We see that training taking place week in and week out. Week out. You... Believers, members of Cedarview, you're a part of that. Think about what you singing the truth about Jesus does for these little ones. Think about what it does for the person next to you. Now, what I want to do this morning, uh, well, let me give you a heads up. Today is not Acts, and next week is not Acts either. We're actually taking a break. I meant to tell you this last week, but... Today is just going to be related to weekend family Bible school. And then next week, we're going to spend a series of weeks, not too long. We're going to go to the Old Testament prophet Joel. Because he speaks so much about what we're seeing fulfilled in the early church. I wanted to spend some time discovering what uh, God prophesied through Joel that we're actually seeing in the life of the church. So for several weeks, probably, if I'm not mistaken, about seven weeks will be in the book of Joel and then we'll come back to the book of Acts keep on going now let's begin today we want to talk about investigating Christianity this whole theme for this weekend has been sort of a a way for us to show our young ones that we believe but we believe we have faith with plenty of reason to back it up Uh, We've been training them to investigate the claims of the Bible, investigate the claims of the gospel like a detective. That's why you saw Detective Jeffries walking through here earlier. He was continuing on his next detective investigation. For us, though, we want to bring that to you this morning. We want to talk about The knowledge of God. We want to talk about the validation of testimony and the necessity of faith. And so as we begin, I'll I'll tell you, we're going to jump around. I got about five different passages I'm going to go to. You don't have to go with me, but it'll be on the screen for you. I want to give you this theme this morning, though. God invites us to explore the reason for faith and believe unto salvation. God invites us to explore the reason for faith and believe unto salvation. I hope my notes updated. Did they? Did my notes update? Are they there? Okay. All right. So uh, I want to establish a starting point this morning. As we talked about with the young ones this weekend, we don't want to be a know-it-all. We don't want to be that person that has every answer to every question, even though we know it may not even be right, false confidence, leading people astray. We don't want to be a know-it-all. And so we begin, as, as people of the Bible, we begin by saying we don't know everything, and that's why we must explore. 
Not only that, but we must believe that truth can be known. I know you've encountered it. Somebody in the world said at some time, um, either talking to you or on a video or on TV or whatever, you can't know absolute truth. And so in response to that, we have to say, do you know that to be absolutely true? Do you see how the world's systems of denying God ultimately fall on their face? We don't know everything, so we must explore. We believe truth can be known. And if truth can be found, then meaning for life and everything can be discovered. Not just meaning that we sort of create because a finite person cannot be the author of infinite meaning. Only an infinite person can tell us what is infinitely meaningful. So we don't know everything, so we must explore. We believe that truth can be found, and if it is found, then meaning for life can be discovered. And so I want to point us to a few discoveries this morning, a few discoveries this morning. First discovery that we made this weekend, we can know that God exists. We can know that God exists. You know, consider the things that when you walk outside, some of you, you got your coffee in the morning. Me in these days, I'm looking forward to things like getting coffee and going to check on the chickens. Y'all didn't know I had some chickens, didn't you? We got some chickens. So now it's like, it's just such a pleasure to get coffee and go watch chickens. They're so entertaining. You go outside and you see things. You see the trees. You see the grass. You see the sky. You see the bigness that surrounds you. You go out at night. You see the moon. You see the stars. Majestic things. And you look upon these things and you're mesmerized. It makes you feel a certain way. Consider like some of you have been to uh, some of the, the, the biggest um, uh, sites in the world, like the Grand Canyon. Some of you go to the beach on a regular occasion like we do. We look out at the ocean, and there's just something about the vastness of the ocean that's like, man, I want to I get in that. I want to know what's there. It makes us feel so small, but we're in awe of what is so big. You look in the Grand Canyon, and if you understand me right, there's something in you that's like, man, I just want to throw myself in here, right? <laughs> I know it's crazy. But there's something in you that feels that way. Man, this is beautiful. Oh, I want to know this. We look into creation. We see these things. We, we, we recognize we live in an awe-inspiring world, an amazing world, and it shows us that we have an awe-inspiring creator. We can know that God exists. Here's some of the things that I shared with the children this weekend. There are millions and millions of miles above us. They say there's at least 100 billion stars, and that's just the ones in the Milky Way. That's our own galaxy. The better our technology gets, the more galaxies we see. But currently, scientists estimate there are at least 100 billion galaxies in the whole universe. Think about the bigness, but think about how 
intricately you have been designed. You know, there are 75,000 miles of blood vessels crammed inside one body, inside you. There are at least 50 trillion cells that make up who you are. These are mind-blowing concepts. As you know, the, the DNA from a single human cell, can't even describe to you how small a cell is. You know, DNA from a single human cell, if it were stretched out, it would measure about six feet in length. That's from my fingertip to fingertip. Six feet in length. So if the entire DNA contained within the cells of a single human body was stretched out and laid end to end, it would reach all the way to the moon and back again, get this, 8,000 times. We look at all this, and we consider the, the way nature functions, and we ask the question, is everything only these things? Is it all natural law? Is it just gravity and the, the laws of physics, entropy? Is it, is it mathematics? Is it just 2 plus 2 equals 4? Is it just reason and logic? Is that all there is? If we ask that question, is it only natural laws that explain everything? Then we have to ask another question. How do we explain the universe and all that is here? Are we really going to come to the conclusion that all of this came from nothing and no one? Are we really going to come to the conclusion that it's all by chance? And if you listen closely to uh, secular scientists, they're going to tell you that chance did this. And it's almost like they substitute the word God with chance, as if chance has some sort of power. But here's one example. Our eye. Scientists know that our eye is so complex. We, we call it irreducible complexity. The eye is so complex that it cannot mathematically be explained by an evolutionary process. And that's just your eyeball. Now, we look at all this and we say, no, there is something over what is natural. There is something that is supernatural. There is a Lord over creation that created and sustains all of this. And when he wants to, he wants to break that rule of creation and show us something miraculous. And he can do it. You look at a piece of artwork, you don't say, man, how did that artwork create itself so well? No, you don't do that. You say, man, I want to know the artist. I want to know the creator here. And so we look into the scriptures and we see evidence and explanation. And the Bible gives us this clear evidence and gives us the best explanation. We can know that God exists. But here's what happens. Because we are fallen, because we have this nature that is that is opposed to God, because we want to find our ways around God and excuse ourselves from, from accountability to this God, because if murder is wrong, it's because somebody decided at some point that it was wrong, and it wasn't a human, it was God. Think about all the people in the world that don't have the law, yet they know. 
certain things are wrong. Because God has built that into us. And we have eternity in our hearts. Romans 1, 18 through 23 explains what happens because of our condition. What happens when we start to approach anything that will point us to God. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, get this, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. Listen, you have no excuse. For although they knew God, and that is the sense that they knew that he was there, knew about him, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. You look at civilizations throughout the world and, and you look at how they worship. Nobody came along and said, hey, you need to worship this tree as though it's God. Nobody came along and told you, hey, you need to worship your career or money as God. It's just what we do. We refuse to acknowledge the sovereign God and choose for ourselves lesser things and give ourselves to those things. Paul tells us all this here. Now, what's really cool, I want to give you an example this morning. Herbert Spencer, in 1820, a scientist, he came up with uh, five things that have to, to be present for something to be created, okay? Five things that have to be present. He said it takes time, it takes force, it takes energy, it takes space, and it takes matter. Time, force, energy, space, matter. What does Genesis 1-1 say? In the beginning, time, God, force, created, that is energy, the heavens, space, and the earth, that is matter. So what Herbert Spencer discovered in 1820 God actually had written by the hand of Moses many thousands of years prior. Isn't that amazing? See, we can look into the scriptures and there's so much more, but what this text shows us is that we ought to look around us and see that there is a creator and that he certainly exists and that we are accountable to him. We make another discovery, though, second discovery, we can know him. We look in the scripture and we see how not only did, the, the, did God create everything from nothing, a miraculous event, we also look and see in the life of Jesus and in the life of the early church especially, we see miraculous things happen. Not the least of which is the resurrection. So why should we accept these things and why should we accept the resurrection from the dead? Because we have, we have eyewitnesses. 
Not only is it not difficult to believe that God can do these things, but we have people who saw it and wrote about it and then ended up, many of them, giving their lives for it. Stephen was one. Well, something's missing here, okay? We can know that he exists. We can look around all these things and we can know that he exists, but we have to acknowledge that he has revealed himself, that we can actually know him. And so just like we would look at a fingerprint and say, hey, we can identify a particular person from this fingerprint. You know your fingerprint's unique, your thumbprint. You get in trouble, bad trouble. They're going to take your fingerprints. They're going to double check all these things and find out who did this, who committed the crime. Just like that, as we look into the world, as we look into the word, we know that God is not some transcendent uh, thing or person that's really just unknowable and that we, can't, that we can't commune with him. But he reveals himself in such a way that he invites us, invites us to see that he is the God of creation. He is the only wise God, as the scripture says. He is particular. And at some point, we've got to believe the evidence he shows us. Will we believe the testimony of creation? Will we believe the testimony of these eyewitnesses? You know, the presence of faith reveals to us that we are not machines that process information. Nobody is going to open the scriptures and say, okay, uh, two plus two equals four, bam, I believe in God. You never reason your way unto salvation. It just doesn't happen. You all know that on that occasion when you were saved, the Holy Spirit opened up your eyes and opened up your heart to the truth. And it was something that could not simply be described by some scientific facts. It's deeper, deeper connection than that. There is a longing in us that only God can meet. Hear from 1 Corinthians 2, 14 through 16. The natural person, the one we just described in Romans 1. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but he himself is judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ? You know, for some people it seems like faith comes easy doesn't it? While for others it seems like faith is really slow, very difficult, but in every case, the one who believes is not relying purely on evidence. The evidence is there, but they believe. The explanations are the best explanations, that they tell us the truth. If you're open to letting the evidence lead you to the truth, then I think you're in that good starting place so we can know that God exists but also secondly we can know him now that brings us to a bit more of the discoveries a couple more discoveries related to validating the testimony so third discovery we have eyewitness accounts I've mentioned this already but we have eyewitness accounts I love this passage, 1 John 
1, 1 through 4. It gives us a clear answer to the question, these gospel writers, these apostles, were they actually there? Did they actually see Jesus? John, in his gospel, he says in 21, 24, he says, this is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things, who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. John emphasizing what he wrote. And now in his letter, 1 John 1, this is what he says. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. He repeats himself. Listen, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Y'all follow that? Heard, seen, touched. I did this with the, the, the kids this weekend. How do you know that the person next to you is actually sitting there? Thanks, Shannon. Obliging my, my request again. How do you know they're actually sitting there? Some of you, as soon as I said that, you're like, well, I can touch them, right? I can hear them when they sing. And here when they talk, I'm looking at them. They're here. That's what John is saying. We heard him, we've seen him, we touched him. He says, because of these things, we open our mouths, we testify, we proclaim, and then we write. He tells us his purpose. We do these things so that you could be a part of the fellowship that we have. And not only that, it means fellowship with the Father and the Son. You see what the writers of the Bible are doing for us? They're presenting Jesus as best they can, as clearly as they can, affirming all of their experiences with him. And do we really have any good reason to question them? No. Somebody say, well, well John's gospel was changed, right? No, actually, we have historical proof that John's gospel was not changed. John had a man that he invested in, actually a few men, Polycarp, Papias, Ignatius. Maybe you've heard these names before. John invested in these guys. You know what they did? They turned around and invested in other people. They passed on the truth about Jesus. So the next generation was Irenaeus, and then the next generation was Hippolytus. So all of these guys, you would say, well, they changed it over time. No, we can look at all their copies and say, nothing was changed. They passed on the truth of Jesus. And it's not only that, folks. We have copies and copies and copies and copies that have been passed down throughout the centuries all over the world. Every part of the world you could imagine, we have these copies. 20,000 manuscripts from the New Testament testify to the truth that is in your Bible in your lap right now. It is amazing. It's amazing. Incredible, miraculous what God has done. No, we don't have any good reason to disbelieve them or reject them. 
We have eyewitness accounts. Fourth discovery, we can verify God's word. We can verify God's word. As I just revealed to you, Peter says the same thing. I'm not going to go there. He says, look, we didn't, we didn't follow cleverly devised myths. We just presented Jesus to you. We just presented him to you. We can verify God's word. But remember, when we talk about God's word, we're talking about the word really in two different ways. First off, it is that Bible that hopefully you have in your lap or it's on your table at home or you're reading it regularly. That Bible, what we have is reliable, historically verifiable, so we have confidence in what we have. Some people just assume that the Bible is like the telephone game. You pass on the message and eventually it becomes lost. But we actually have all the people in the telephone line of the Bible saying the same thing historically verifiable. Amazing. You know what Jesus said about this? Mark 13, 31. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. We get up every day and we just assume that the earth is going to keep on spinning, that the sun is going to rise, that it's going to do what it does. Did you know that Jesus' words are more sure than that? First Peter 1 Peter 1.23, he says, eternal life in Jesus comes, in his words, through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass and its glory, like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. We have the Bible, but we have the person. We can verify God's word of the Bible. We can verify, verify God's word the person of Jesus. All of what we have bears a unified witness to the one Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we read John 1, 1. John starts his gospel. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So that logos, that principle that holds all things together, that word from the Lord that was active at creation, that word is a person, Jesus Christ. And that word was revealed in creation, becoming man, the incarnation, and he communicates God to us and then declares God's love for us by dying on the cross for us. You know, one of the disciples said to Jesus, hey, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. What does Jesus say? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Everything you need to know about God is found in Jesus. He is the revelation of God in himself. And every word of the Bible, as he says, is about him. We're approaching the end Let's look at a few verses, and maybe I can ex a few more verses. I can explain briefly some of the philosophy behind weekend family Bible school. 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17. Some of these verses are very familiar to you. The first couple might not be. Paul writing to Timothy, he says, But as for you, 
Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, that is the scripture, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So this answers a few questions for us, right? Timothy, who taught you the, the, the word? Who taught you the word from childhood? If you look back in First Timothy, you know it was his mother and his grandmother. It was his mother and his grandmother. And then we know he has a spiritual father in the role of Paul. Consider your role, parents, grandparents, in shaping your child's mind and heart toward Jesus. Paul is saying, hey, all those things that you learn, man, hold on to them. Hold fast to them. Who taught you the word? Parents, grandparents. If you don't have parents and grandparents that taught you the word, look around. Look around. God has not left you without people to show you the light of Jesus. Look around. Who taught you the word? Parents, grandparents. What will the word show you? It will make you wise unto salvation. Where did the word come from? It came from the mouth of God. God breathed. And then what will the word make you? It will make you equipped for every good work. Teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness, equipped for every good work. And now we come to the last two discoveries briefly. Fifthly, Christian faith is the beginning. As I told you from the start today, I told you that reason won't get you to salvation. Reason alone won't get you to salvation. What reason does is help you to remove those obstacles out of the way so that faith may have its opportunity. You know, those people that would attack John's gospel or the historical church or whatever, they are clinging to excuses when God says, you have no excuse. And so when we use reason, when we investigate the claims of Jesus, we slowly see those facades, we slowly see those straw men, those excuses, they fall down, and then there's no excuse but to believe. No excuse. We just believe. But maybe the question is, what kind of belief? What kind of faith? Are we believing that certain things are true, or are we believing in the person of Jesus? We may be willing to accept that God exists. That doesn't mean that we know him. You understand? We may be willing to admit some true things about Jesus, even maybe his, his life, his death, his resurrection, but that doesn't guarantee our salvation. James 2.19, you know what it says? It says, even the demons believe and tremble. That doesn't mean they're saved, folks. So we start to see that there is a type of faith that doesn't lead us to salvation. You recall maybe John 2 when many, many people were following Jesus and they 
They were excited about the miracles. They were excited, as you see eventually, about the bread. Oh, man, this guy could give us infinite bread. Following him. Woman at the well, man, he's, he can give me water. I don't have to come out here and get embarrassed all over again for my five husbands. People were following him, but it came down to him saying, hey, I'm the one you need. You don't need anything else. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you'll have no part with me. And they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to this? And they turned away, and he said to his disciples, are you going to go away too? Peter says, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. See, Peter understood. Peter knew this was the one we need. So again, the question is, is it just faith that certain things are true, like you believe the evidence, or is it faith in Jesus? Faith in what he did. Christian faith is the beginning. Right here, I'll tell you, Christian faith is the beginning because you can do all the research, you can study everything, you can knock down those excuses over and over and over again, but yet you still haven't started to understand God. Faith is the beginning of that. Christian faith is the beginning but then sixthly, last discovery, and we're done. Christian faith has good reason. I hope I've made that clear today. I hope you see the, the truth of the word, all these, well, really, it's a crash course today in <laughs> uh, apologetics, I suppose. And I'm a terrible apologist, I'll tell you that much. I want to turn to 1 Corinthians as we conclude 1 Corinthians establishes this for us once again. Verses 3 and 4, it gives us the bare bones gospel. Paul says to the Corinthians, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And if you keep going, listen to what he says. That he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of them who are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. He appeared to James and to all the apostles. Last of all, to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. And he says, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Get this, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. It's God's grace. Paul is saying everything that we believe is absolutely reasonable, but what it comes down to is the grace of God applied to us, in us, at work, in us. We have good reason for believing what we believe about Jesus, but don't let it be just a series of statements of faith or whatever. Hear what he says in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 2, so the previous verses. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you. Unless you believed in vain. 
He called them to believe. He called them to stand firm in that confession. But then he leaves room for someone who's not yet truly surrendered. So I want to ask you folks, not just the kids this weekend, I want to ask you folks, do you know that God exists rather than knowing him? Is that as far as it's come for you? Do you believe that certain things are true about Jesus, but you don't believe in him? Maybe you agree with doctrine, but at the same time deny the lordship of Jesus over your life. That's believing in vain. That's the kind of faith that does not lead to salvation. It's the kind of faith at the proper time you're going to be revealed as a false follower of Jesus. And this whole time it was a sham. Saving faith, Christian, true Christian faith, is surrendering your life to Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior. It's to stop resisting him. It's to finally admit that all the signposts are pointing to him so we can't go our own way. So we must follow the way, the only way, the way to life, the way to know God, the way to worship him, the way to delight in him. You see how God has revealed so much so that we are without excuse. Stop asking for something else. What we have is sufficient. And maybe there's somebody today who would say, look, I realize I am without excuse. And today I want to follow Jesus. I'm trusting in him, I'm repenting of sin, I'm believing on his death and resurrection to save me. If that's you, I'll receive you in just a moment. We'll pray together. I'll share with you what it looks like to repent and believe. And then you become side-by-side followers with Jesus today. Let's pray, and then we'll respond as the Holy Spirit leads. Father, we're thankful for the truth of your word. We're thankful for these discoveries We're thankful for the reminders, for many of us, the reminders of all that you have revealed so that we may know you, that we may have eternal life, that we may worship you through your son Jesus, that we may benefit from the indwelling presence of your Holy Spirit, the one who makes all of these spiritual things visible, alive in us, the one who peels back the blinders so that we can see Jesus truly for the first time, removes the veil so that glory can be what we behold unto our salvation, unto our transformation for all eternity. Father, we bless your name this morning because you are truly a good God. We didn't deserve any of this, and you went to the greatest lengths to reveal yourself to us, to show us your son, and to save us in his death and resurrection. So we worship you. Help us to respond, Holy Spirit. 
the right way. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.